Well, we have the opportunity again to look at the Word of God this morning, and we're in Matthew, of course, uh, and if you will look at Matthew chapter 12, is where we find ourselves again today, and verses 33 through 37, 33 through 37. This is our text for instruction from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, recorded here under the direction, inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Matthew. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? Well, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What your words say about you. It's the title for this text that I have chosen. Our words are not spiritually indifferent things, but they are significant because they disclose what is in the heart. They thereby reveal the spiritual condition of the speaker. From a divine standpoint, then, no words are insignificant. The words of Jesus in our text underscore the profound importance of our words. His instruction about them came on the heels of the blasphemous words of the Pharisees who charged Jesus with performing an exorcism by Satan. Put it this way, he was attributing the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus to the devil. Blasphemous, insulting, evil, wicked words. Jesus rebuked the errant and evil Pharisees with arguments that demonstrated the irrationality illogicality and absurdity of their false accusations against him. In addition, Jesus told them that he cast out demons by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, showing thereby that the kingdom of God had come upon them. You recall, we looked at that last week, verses 25 through 29. Now, the question may be asked, why did the Pharisees level such a wicked and blasphemous charge against Jesus? Why did they accuse him of doing his miraculous works by the power of Beelzebub, or the devil? Well, our Lord provides the answer for us in the passage that we're looking at this morning. And let me give a heading for the first few verses here. Words reveal the condition of the heart. Words reveal the condition of the heart. In verse 33, Jesus uses a parable to begin to make his point about the condition of the heart. Let me tell you, a parable or parables are an ingeniously simple word picture with profound spiritual lessons. The parable of two trees here in verse 33, one good and one bad, in a 
It is, in it, a tree is to its fruit what a person's heart is to his speech. Speech is fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. You may recall Jesus used the same language in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. There he taught that fruit represents conduct. So conduct and speech, joining that passage in Matthew 7 and this passage here in Matthew 12, conduct and speech are fruit, either good or bad fruit. The source is the heart. It's the heart. But in verse 33, the parable is also a warning, a warning that those who witness Jesus' miraculous power, they need to Make a decision. You'll see in verse 33, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Jesus employs uh, the verb make, which is used here in a figurative sense for making up one's mind about something. He is saying, make up your mind. Either the tree is good and its fruit is good, or the tree is bad bad and his fruit is bad make up your mind and in this case when Jesus says make or make up your mind he is talking about himself Jesus is saying in effect either I am a good tree and my work is good or I am a bad tree and my work is bad of course he is a good tree how do we know he's good We know he's good because he reverses the destructive work of Satan, sin, and sickness. His goodness is evident. He routed the kingdom of darkness, and he demonstrated the kingdom of God was present. Satan does men evil, and Christ did men good. And because of that reality, we know he is a good tree. Verse 34. Jesus then zeroes in on the Pharisees who are the opposite of our Lord. He zeroes in on them by denouncing them fiercely. He calls them a brood of vipers. They are the epitome of a bad tree, the Pharisees. Brood of vipers. Offspring of vipers. It's an apt characterization of the religious leaders designated as Pharisees in the Bible. Vipers are snakes. They're deceptive, they're poisonous, and deadly. They can blend in with the surrounding rocks and sticks. They are dangerous. And that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, to their face. You're a brood of of vipers. They're bite. A viper's bite is poisonous. By calling them a brood of vipers, Jesus, of course, is speaking metaphorically. And the metaphor, which is an implied comparison, is that the Pharisees, by their mouths, are like the vipers. The viper injects poison. The poisonous speech of blasphemy, the poisonous lies about Jesus, soul-damning lies. Then Jesus continues, how can you being evil speak what is good? 
Now, you need to know that Jesus wasn't asking for an answer. He was stating a fact about the religious leaders by his question. The obvious answer is, when he says this um, here in the text, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? The answer is obvious. They cannot. They are evil by nature. They are depraved. You need to understand that about fallen human beings. In biblical anthropology, uh, the study of man, a salient point about fallen humanity is its moral corruption. And this corruption extends to his entire being. This corruption is the legacy from Adam. You know, it's interesting, by the way, that Jesus does not attempt to massage their egos with flattering things. But he tells the truth to them about them, which really was a loving thing because they really need to know just what they really are in God's eyes. The Pharisees, their evil nature, precluded them from speaking what is good. The depravity of human beings is well stated in the Bible. You cannot get very far in Scripture, and certainly not in the New Testament, without running into the reality that something is profoundly wrong with mankind. He is tainted by sin in his mind, in his heart, in his emotions, in his will, in his body. His entire being is corrupted by sin. And what speech does, it just demonstrates that inner corruption. In fact, in, in, in the Bible, Romans, Romans chapter 3, Paul takes a cantina, a collection of s- scriptures, and he uh, tells us some things. He looks at from, uh, drawing from the Old Testament, and He lays it out, and he's talking about this to tell us why men need to be justified, why they need the gospel, because of their condition. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and following, uh, he lays it out for us. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, under the power of sin. If you really want to know what is wrong with men, one thing you can underscore in your Bible and certainly underscore in your mind is that unsaved, unregenerate men are under the power of sin. They're under his dominion, his tyranny. Therefore, there is none righteous. Not even one. Righteous meaning moral nature. There is no one has a moral nature. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, defiling because of the things that come out of their heart. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. And we live in a time and a world where people lie all the time. Just lie, lie, lie. 
You know they're lying. They know they're lying, and but they're going to keep on lying. We can kind of chuckle about it, but the reality is God denounces that as here in the word of God, and that is the characteristic of fallen men, men who have fallen lie. Notice verse 13. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. An asp is a snake. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. That goes right along with what we're talking about, what Jesus is saying, right? You see the condemnation of human beings. Down in verse 23 of Romans 3, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a comprehensive statement. There are no exceptions. Ephesians 2.1 says that men are dead in transgressions and sins. Now, Paul was uh, quoting from the Old Testament there under the direction of the Spirit of God, describing fallen human beings. In the Old Testament, you can see this well about this evil nature which the Pharisees partook of and which it was obvious that they were because of their attacks upon the Lord Jesus Christ, describing them, uh, his, his work by the devil. Jeremiah 13, verse 23, is a text uh, that is clear, laying out what's wrong with human beings. The context was to the Jews, particularly because Jeremiah was a prophet to the Jews, those in Judah, but the truth here applies to all men, whether Jew or Gentile. Jeremiah 13, 23 says this, Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Of course, when Jeremiah says that in the first part of the verse, the obvious answer is no. Sin in Jews and, frankly, in non-Jews or Gentiles is firmly fixed in the heart. Get that? They can't do anything about it. Jeremiah 17 is another text that um, illuminates the truth about human beings for us. Jeremiah 17, 1. The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus <laughs> with a diamond point it is engraved upon the tablet of their heart it's there no eraser can remove it sin is written down upon the tablet of their heart that's the nature of false of fallen men you have to understand that. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand what God says about men and their sin, you don't understand men. Now, Jeremiah 17, since we're there, verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Um, you might say, I do. No, you don't. There's only one understands the heart. 
He says so in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Only God. So the, the reality is that uh, fallen man, man without Christ, unregenerate man, man and his condition when he comes into the world is described in these texts that I just read. There's just some. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, died in the last decade of the 1800s, wrote this, quote, You can make yourself filthy by sin, but you cannot make yourself spiritually clean. Do what you will. You do evil all too readily. But remember, dear friends, that even if an Ethiopian can change his skin, that would be a far smaller difficulty than the one which the sinner has to deal for it is not his skin, but his heart, which has to be changed. End of quote. Evil resides deeply in the unregenerate person's heart. He is incapable of removing it. And I'm going to tell you, religion can't fix that. Religion can't change anyone. You can be a part of religion and do some crazy things. 9-11 is a case. Those were religious people that flew those planes into the Trade Center on 9-11. They thought they were going to get some virgins. Instead, they entered hell. The fact of the matter is, they weren't changed inwardly. Because no religion, the Pharisees weren't changed by their religion. They hated Jesus. Religion can't fix you. God has to change the heart, doesn't he? He has to change internally. Men. Now, we're back in our text. Uh, I turned, I didn't tell y'all to do that, but I'm assuming you may have. Verse 34 is where we are. Let's talk about the heart for a moment. For the bottom of the verse, verse 34, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart the heart represents the seat of thought and will it represents the character of a person to say that words reveal the heart is to reveal what a person is like you want to know what a person is? our words reveal us better than an MRI You notice what Jesus says here in verse 34, the uh, bottom of the verse, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Whatever's in the heart will come out through the mouth, out through the speech. When the mouth speaks, it simply reproduces in verbal form what is in the heart. And wicked people like the Pharisees Proverbs 15, verse 18, the B portion says this, the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Jesus will elaborate further on that later, but that's the reality. And notice the word fills. Parasuo is the word in the original text, and parasuo means great abundance. It means fullness. It means overflow. It means excess. Words 
then provide the outward evidence of inward corruption of the heart. Now, in verse 35, this is what Jesus does. He, he elaborates further on it. However, he changes the imagery. He, he goes to um, talking about treasure, verse 35. Now, he, he talks about, verse 35, the good man. The good man. Now, I need to explain this. This is not a man who is good in himself. All by nature are sinners. A moment ago we read from Romans chapter 3 verse 12, For there is none who does good. People throw around the word, Oh, he's a good man. Or she's a good woman. And I know what they mean uh, in relative terms toward other people. They're good, but God says, I don't operate on that basis. I don't have a relative standard. I have an absolute standard. And on my standard, you have to be absolutely good. You have to be equal to me. And you ain't. <laughs> Therefore, you ain't good. And of course, God would use better grammar than I just did, but <laughs> you, you get my point. Only the triune God is good. Absolute goodness. So, the good man, who is he? The good man is the one whose heart has been transformed by the regenerating work of salvation. The Holy Spirit took the gospel, applied it to his heart, regenerated him, and he believed the gospel, and at that point he became a good man. He became righteous. That's what happened to you. Somebody says to you, oh, you're a good person. Please retort. That's because God has changed my heart. He regenerated me. The only goodness you see coming from me is because of him. It is not because of me, because he, but it's because he changed me. The heart is the primary place where God works. When he transforms the person, that's where he works, in the heart. And it'll show up in the life. When the heart has been transformed by the saving work of Christ, it will be demonstrated in one's life and one's speech. Now, you'll notice something here. The good man is, in verse 35, he's contrasted with the evil man. Verse 35, you notice toward the end of the verse, the evil man, his evil treasure, which is evil. So there's a contrast between the good man who is righteous and the evil man who is unrighteous. Treasure, treasure. We need to spend a moment on that because you need to know what we're talking about, treasure here. F from a Greek word from which our word thesaurus, or thesaurus is one man pronounced it. It's derived. Thesaurus, thesaurus, it's a treasury of words. We all know that. Jesus is saying that it is in the treasury of the treasure for the store that he speaks. You see, it's in this treasure of this heart, our, our thoughts, ambitions, desires, attitudes, all of that's there. Before we ever display an attitude or a thought or a plan or a purpose or any of that, it's already in the heart. The mouth just utters it. 
But you'll notice that the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. He brings out good things. Again, that Proverbs, Proverbs 15, 18, a portion, this is what his practice is. The heart of the righteous ponder how to answer. Mm. The heart of the righteous ponder how to answer. They just don't say the first thing that enters their mind. They ponder how to answer. The good man knows something about himself. You know it too. You've been regenerated. But you also know you still have to deal with indwelling sin. That's a reality. The righteous people, those who've been born again, can lapse into evil speech just like they can lapse into evil deeds. They can gossip, slander, use obscenity, vulgarities. But you need to have a strategy to deal with it. I think what happens when you become a Christian, you don't want to talk like you used to. Well, y'all scared me for a second. <laughs> I was waiting on you to say, I, uh, yeah, 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 I agree with that. <laughs> now, the reality is um, the, the, that we can speak wrongly. Our speech can be ungodly. It can be the wrong kind of speech when you got saved it's a process of sanctification you have to grow but your desire is to speak the way God wants you need a strategy one is obey the scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4 says this and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. Paul wrote this to Christians because Christians can fall into these things that he lists in verse 4. So he says those things aren't to be there. He says no filter and silly talk and so on. I was uh, in a room where I worked back in the day. I said, when was it back in the day? Uh, 1979 to be precise and a man came in who uh, had been trying to get me to go to his Bible study I never went <laughs> and he came in uh, to our room and he began to talk and his first thing he talked about was uh, he, he told a joke, joke but it was a bad joke uh, let me put it like an off-color joke. Uh, I was stunned. He told it to a group of people. And he's a professing Christian now. And I don't necessarily doubt that he's a Christian, but I thought, how inappropriate. You walk in this room, and the first thing you want to do is tell a joke, uh, an off-color one. Bad. And I say, I guess that's why I didn't go to his Bible study. 
You don't want, don't, don't talk like that. There's to be obedience to the word of God. What else can you do? You need strategy here to deal with it. Prayer. Psalm 141, verse 3 says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What the psalmist says here is, uh, Yahweh, act as a sentinel. By your power, by your influence, keep wrong things from exiting my mouth. I need your help. You see, the, the, the good man, the righteous man, knows, knows that uh, he's in progress, making progress. He knows the potential damage of the misuse of words. James chapter 3, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. All the wickedness and iniquity is wrapped up in the tongue. It's, it's an awful thing. Words. His tongue, when he's talking about the tongue, he's not talking about the organ itself. He's talking about speech. The tongue is just a means of getting the speech out from your heart. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. End of quote. Satan loves to use the tongue as an instrument for evil. The righteous man is aware that his speech can bring harm and people have uh, done harm to relationships because of their words. They've damaged people because of their words. People have talked to their children ways that they shouldn't talk and they damaged the relationship. Husbands and wives can do the same thing. You better understand that tongue, that speech is something that is destructive. And you need to use it speech wisely. You need help. Another thing, the Word of God is helpful in dealing with tongue, speech. Psalm nineteen fourteen, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your, in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, how, how will the words of my mouth be acceptable in his sight? We're talking about God here. God, how, how will my speech be acceptable in your holy sight? I'll tell you how. How? Fill your heart with his word. And then the word will come out, and the way the word will shape your thinking, and your, all of that and the way you express yourself will be related to the things that are right, pure, holy, and just, and honest, and pure. And that's acceptable in God's sight. And that should be desire every child of God, wherever you are, whether in private or in public, you want your speech to be acceptable in His sight because, after all, He's looking. And the psalmist wanted that because 
God, I know you're privy to my speech, and I want my words to be acceptable in your sight. Have you ever thought about that? Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's how believers are to address their speech. Do those things and watch it transform their speech. By, by the way, this came to mind. You do not have to respond in kind to someone's ungodly speech. Because they talk that way should never give you license to do that. Because your objective, I want my speech to be pleasing to the Lord. So they, they talk, as people say, crazy to you. You don't talk crazy to them. You are the Christian, uh, right? One of the things that used to bug me <laughs> they were telling myself here. I don't hear people say, well, you know, certain people get a certain age because they're older. They can have the right to say whatever they want. I say, that's not true. I don't care if you're as old as Methuselah. You need to talk the way God wants you to talk. Your speech ought to reflect holiness. In fact, if you're as old as Methuselah, your speech ought to be almost perfect. Because you've been practicing for centuries. Let me give you a little parenthetical statement. Evaluate people's thinking and utterances by Scripture to determine whether it's true to the Word of God or worldly wisdom. Now, here in our text, We've looked at the good man and what the good man will do. The good woman, the righteous woman, righteous man. Jesus turns to the evil man who brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Brings out, ekbalo is the word in the original, ekbalo, to cast out. Brings out, to cast out, literally throws out, perhaps implying involuntarily bringing out. <laughs> Let me tell you what happens. The, the evil man, he is evil, he's corrupt inwardly. But sometimes he, he wants to uh, <laughs> suppress his internal corruption. They, they want to hold back their... Um, evil attitudes from verbal expression. But the pressure from their evil thoughts, anger and stress and pain uh, will force them to surface those thoughts and words. Like the guys are old faithful. I think it's at Yellowstone, is that where it is? The guys are, what it does, old faithful, it, every so, so often, so many minutes, it comes out of, of the hole where it is, a spring of water. That's what the geyser is. Because I, I, I reminded myself by looking up to make sure I got this right, and indeed there's pressure that causes the spring to f come up, and people go and they, on vacation, they look at it, oh, take pictures, there's Old Faithful. 
That's how the ungodly person is. They can only keep it in for long, for a while. The pressure is there, and it'll come out. We have a neighbor. <laughs> uh, we appreciate him for a number of things, but he's always trying. To, oops, excuse me. just comes out because it's natural for them. And we understand. He doesn't know Christ. The man has an evil treasure because he's evil. The Pharisees were evil. Words reveal the condition of the heart. Words reveal eternal destiny. Jesus says here, verse 36, but I tell you, those four words solemnly introduce an important saying. Pay attention. Every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment, Jesus says. Words are an accurate gauge of men's hearts. They will give an account for the words, their words on the day of judgment. Now, we need to hasten to help you understand something here. Salvation and condemnation are not produced by words or deeds. No, not at all. Your words don't save you. Your deeds don't save you. That's quite clear. The Scripture is unambiguous about that reality. But words and deeds are manifested. They manifest salvation or condemnation. Words and deeds are observable evidence of a person's spiritual condition. In the day of judgment, general time, when the Lord evaluates who belongs in and out of his kingdom, a criteria will be or include, I should say, one's words, one's speech. Think about that. Notice in the text, careless words. Careless words? Not only the blasphemous words, not only the, the, the words that even s sinful people don't like to uh, put on television because they say that's beyond the pale, uh, not just those words, but careless words. Careless words here mean useless, barren, unproductive, worthless words, slip of the tongue. Words are significant. The Lord hears every one of them, and you know, He doesn't forget a single one. For every single human being ever lived or will live. Careless words. They shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Now, you may, you may wonder, I know you're wondering, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, what about us Christians? Christians' words, sinful ones, have all been dealt with at Calvary. The atoning death of Christ applied to them by faith, that means there is no condemnation. We won't. This is for unbelievers. 
Aren't you glad? Thank God my uh, sinful speech has been taken care of by Christ's death. And as we've already seen, you shouldn't engage in them. Don't think, well, I'm on my way to heaven. Let me tell you something. If your heart's been transformed by the grace of God and salvation, your speech will show it. You don't get there overnight, but there will be progress. The Christian speech will reflect God's transforming work. There will be wholesome words, kind words, sensitive words, loving words, edifying words, truthful words. Those are the kind of words that will come out of a Christian because his heart's being transformed, has been transformed, is being transformed, and ultimately be perfected in heaven. But until you'll see a progress, and those are the kind of words that comes out of his or her mouth. By the way, believer, don't be hypocritical. Sometimes people try to pretend that they're what they're not. They like to use holy talk. I had a professor who used to talk about how guys would stand up and talk about God because it sounded holy. Actually, it sounded stupid. They were trying to impress with how they said God, you know, holy language. Just speak normally. Be godly. The unbeliever will give an account at the great white throne judgment. His judgment will be eternal punishment in the lake of fire. It's fascinating. God will include speech in his judgment of people because it reflects the heart. As a Christian, your speech reflects the transforming grace of God through Jesus Christ. And it should do that more and more as the Spirit of God works in your life. It'll show what your words say about you that you belong to the Savior, whose words were utterly pure, utterly holy, utterly gracious, utterly truthful, and so should ours be. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for uh, these truths. I pray that everyone who names your name in speech and in conduct would depart increasingly from evil. That uh, what we say and what we do will increasingly reflect your holy character for you've said to us be holy for I am holy. May we indeed practically speaking reflect your holiness in our life in its entirety. That glorifies your name as we're obedient. That glorifies your name as we reflect your son, Jesus Christ.
as we look more like you, our Father in heaven. I pray for any in this room who may not be saved. Save them. You have to do the work in their heart. Regenerate them. Their lives will be what you want them to be. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.